The barkeep named Sean asks if I met the ghost in room seven. He tells me this ghost carries his head in his hands and has a bad case of flatulence. Whoever my ghost visitor was, he was friendly, and I never heard or smelled a thing. The tide won't go out until 4.30, so I just relax on my private covered porch, resting from having walked around 300 miles on tough trails. I watch the puffy clouds drift by with my feet up, thinking I still have a bit of time until we meet the rental company to pick up kayaks and float down the river to the sea. Just as I get ready to leave, it begins pouring rain. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I'm Allison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Like the small backpacking essential of the same name, the P-Rag shares the sometimes unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as badass people who really don't need permission to blaze our own trails in this journey we call life. Thanks so much to Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the P-Rag podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky's should be in your hands. And Belega, makers of the best blister-resist, non-slouching, foot-massaging socks for any trail. So much generosity in this country, New Zealand. Sean the barkeep tells me not to rush and enjoy my stay. It works for them, as there are no other guests in the hotel except the ghost. But still, his kindness brings me to the point of tears. Even Judy, the housekeeper, who walked in on me early this morning when I took my third long soak in the big claw-footed bathtub, told me, no worries, eh? I'll get to your room later. A few years ago, I walked the Gersanc, the Traverse of the French Alps. One day, rain was predicted for basically the entire day, and that was my cue to take a zero. It's no fun to hike in rain, and you can't see anything anyway. Camping the night before, I had no intention of waiting out the weather in my tent. There was a village about 45 minutes walk ahead, and there was bound to be a place to stay inside. I arrived at a beautiful chalet at about 8.30 in the morning, asking for a room. Not only did the owner set me up, but he allowed me into my room right at that moment, and like today, invited me to just relax all day on the covered porch as rain fell over the mist-shrouded mountains. I recall the dinner that night with a large group of French families included the finest cheese course I've had in my life. Sure, you could say the room wasn't occupied anyway, and it was no trouble to let me take it early but he could have been strict with a specified check-in time, and he chose to be a gracious host instead. Contrast that with a Jeet owner further south, who threw me off his property when a guest invited me to have a bath in her room. No dinner for me, even after offering to pay for the hot water I used. It was such a mean and arbitrary act. I was shaken to the core, really, for years. Puhoi Pub in New Zealand, where I eat mussel fritters washed down with a local cider, has erased that awful moment of being told, 
we don't like your kind here. But you know, that's another lesson for me. We all have options to be generous or to be stingy, to see abundance or to see scarcity. And this is not a judgment I'm making of the world. This goes for me, too. Rather than dismiss that nasty French experience and celebrate the wonderful one, I chose to put my attention on figuring out the nasty one. Having my feelings of anger, confusion, and hurt is not the problem. Those are appropriate responses. The problem is in staying with those feelings and puzzling over what I could have done differently. Or worse, asking, why me? It turns the blame for poor behavior on me rather than where it belongs, on the one who behaved badly. It's almost as though I believe kindness is a fluke, and unkindness what I deserve. The rain stops suddenly and it's sunny again, just in time to leave. I pick up some of the famous Puhoy stinky washed rind cheese before launching. A third Dutchman named Kuhn joins us. Floris, Marjolaine, Lydie, and Stefan, all just barely in their 20s. We bump along in fat, sit-on-top kayaks, laughing and splashing our way from muddy and narrow to wide open and turquoise, S-shaped necked herons pumping oversized wings as we approach. I mostly paddle with Stefan, who tells me he's built his own wooden kayaks, then complains that Lydie walks too slow and hitches too much. It's late when we arrive at Wenderholm, chilled by the dropping temperature and still a walk to a camping area. It's busy with teenagers, likely from a school, throwing, kicking, and whacking balls of various shapes and sizes. Even for my 20-something friends, this is not exactly paradise by the sea. And just then, the ranger drives up. Ross seems to read our minds and invites us to camp on his lawn with a long drop and running water, free of charge. Boy, did we score. He even has a picnic table where we share cheese and beer and laughs before it starts raining again and we all take cover in our tents. It's a cold night and it's damp. The sandflies are active, a nuisance that's rarely discussed in the pure New Zealand ad campaign. There are actually 19 sandfly species found in New Zealand, but only three bite humans. The one I'm dealing with is a black fly that are prolific in areas near water and humid bush, including beaches, lakes, rivers, and swamps, essentially everywhere I'm walking. The good news is they don't appear to carry any diseases, and unlike our mosquitoes, they don't bite while you're moving. So I get a move on, up the headlands to extraordinary views of chalky turquoise sea, squalls traveling down the coast. This spot was a private estate at one time. A sign informs me that water collection was a challenge, and the family that settled here needed a lot of it for their tennis courts, lawns, and gardens. They would place eels and crayfish in the tanks to eat the sandfly larvae and keep the water fresh. A quote reads, all water has perfect memory and is forever trying to get back to where it was. Do you know who wrote that? Toni Morrison. <laughs> I smile with pride. Epiphytes called Kauhara Fara perch in trees' armpits. 
Trippers of the forest called Kariao snake up the ground to all the way into the canopy where the rain dances, but I stay dry below. The high point is a pa, a fortress from the 16th century when Iwis fought one another for territory. They cleared forest and used trenches as traps, all must feeling justified politically or religiously for their land grab. I come down now to the Waiwari Road where I meet the others who skipped this last section. A little store sells L&P soda, lemon and payora. I ask the clerk what is payora, and she says that's just where it's made. Not bad, refreshing. And then we're told to expect thunderstorms as two more hikers show up from Sweden. And then it's a rock hop at low tide a playground of shifted ancient molten layers, tide pools, seaweed and oysters clinging tightly. The rain stops and the sun gleams on the wind-rippled water. Tiny purple snails huddle in cracks and depressions like plump berries. My feet love the clingy feel of the drying rock. The sand is coarse, crushed shells, jagged edges, slabs of rock spitting out in long tongues, whimsically eroded like sliced bread here, a dinosaur's backbone there. The trail provides as the rain returns right as I reach Otanarua Hatsfield Beach, the town of Arewa in view. A leafy promenade called Marine Parade takes me along the beach. Unusual homes look out to sea. I come to a sign explaining the significance of Te Ara Tahina Estuary, a safe anchorage for canoes and abundant with food, a place deeply revered. I'm carrying a wet tent and my clothes are dirty, but I'm dry and this breeze is cool. I feel wonderful, everything on my back and in my pockets. But now I'm in a town, cows next to the roundabout, Christmas decorations up. A nice kiwi with bright red hair and an out-of-place Roatan t-shirt helps me find the poorly signed underpass for a crowded four-lane highway, offering me a ride, but I tell her I'd rather walk. Oh, I really wish I'd accepted. There's no verge and crazy fast driving. Really, at the very least, the TA Association should create sidewalks on the road sections. It's dangerous, not to mention ugly. Maybe this whole long walk idea is just a joke, and the expectation is that we'll hitch. Once I'm off the main road, it's quiet and scenic. Oh boy, I don't mind this at all. Wait a minute. I took a wrong turn. I was supposed to stay in that awful busy road. Damn it. Right now, I'm just not liking New Zealand at all. A whole string of bad words come out of my mouth as a lovely Kiwi pulls up to tell me I'm going the wrong way. No shit, Sherlock. I'm on the verge of tears as he piles me and olive oil in his car for the half K back to the main road. He tells me that he's complained to the council that the trail really shouldn't be on busy roads. All the steam comes out of me with his words, <laughs> and I burst out laughing when we pull up to the intersection, and there's Coon limping along with a giant walking stick he found. I thank my trail angel and join Coon for the rest of the walk to beautiful Stillwater, where the others await. And just as I expected, hitchhiked. 
Another lovely Kiwi welcomes us to the caravan park, hands us tokens for a five-minute shower, and gives us the run of the game room, no charge. Lydie has the animals cranked. Kuhn sings off-key at the top of his lungs. Stefan is getting beer and we're all relaxed in overstuffed chairs, the alley coop in my clean underwear drying in the sun. And that's just it with the Teararoa, the most irritating, hair-pulling-out, F-bomb-dropping roadwalk, contrasted with the most lovely and generous people you'll ever meet. I wouldn't miss it for the world. And you know, maybe the roadwalking made it just that more sweet. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. Through sharing my stories of walking long-distance trails solo as a middle-aged female hiker, I hope I can empower you to find your inner badass and learn to hike your own hike, too. If you're enjoying the storytelling, consider subscribing to The P-Rag, and if you listen on Apple, take the time to leave a review. It really helps others find the podcast. What are you looking forward to in Auckland? Hot shower, hot stuff. This is good for me. Maybe bacon, onions, and cheese. Hot shower. Oh, and Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, too, guys. <coughs> the Star is Born. Bohemian Rhapsody, you didn't hear me well. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to watch The Star is Born. It's another day, and it's another tide-timing estuary to cross. This time at 12.36 in the afternoon. Even so, the Okura River will come up above our hips, so we gotta be prompt. In the lull, I ponder the juxtaposition of Lydie and me. She tells me she is the old soul and me the young one. So true. At 25, she knows herself well and is happy with who she is, taking life as it comes. She encourages me to think about all the superb luck so far, like just staying for free in a quiet, friendly caravan park and having the run of this huge game room rather than sitting it out in the elements as it's pouring rain again. We start just as the rain stops and the sun comes out. Off go the rain pants and rain skirts, but the pack protectors stay on, bouncing along the Orwewa Nature Reserve. This estuary is different larger with a huge expanse of wave-carved sand. The rock is more slippery, with piles of shells pressed into every nook. At the river, we organize packs and walking sticks and whether to take our clothes off or not. Tiny crabs in beautiful shell homes crawl on the dry ridges. Kite-shaped holes tell me stingrays were here. The others carry their packs on their heads and strip to their underwear. I dispense with formalities and just plunge right in with shoes, pants, and backpack. Yes, I'm soaked, but it's easier, doable, and I laugh the entire way as the water comes up over the lady bits to my belly button. Oh, and it's sandy. (laughs) Then it's just one more short and deeper section before the end, and it's over in no time as the wind picks up, drying my legs into a salty white rain. That's not too bad. The coastal walk takes me up on the cliffs with expansive fields of grasses rippling in the breeze. Light raindrops tap my hat, the water a milky blue. After the beach comes a quiet residential enclave reminding me of La Jolla, trail markers on the street signs. 
I'm so ready for some takeaway. I forgot to mention when walking into Puhoy how much the Teararoa reminds me of hiking in France. The wilder tramp giving way to farm track then spilling directly into a town. I love that feeling I have again today as a small sidewalk cuts through backyards to the beach and the hope of lunch. Two older Kiwis ask how long I've been walking. Well, I walk too, one says, but not that far. The trail meanders on public cliff walks and through bays and villages. A woman pops out of her house to tell me her son did the TA two years ago and how someone quit after six days. But he, she said, was in his 50s. As I am, I tell her. But I don't think she hears me. It starts pouring rain as I walk around the cliffs. But the sun peeks out on Milford Beach. A whole flotilla of sailboats, colorful spinnakers filled, lead me down the sand, the tide pressing in. Next, it's crazy black rock. I think this is a public throughway, but it disappears into a slippery jumble. People come my way, so I guess I can get around. So happy that olive oil is light now with no food. The sun comes out again and conjures a rainbow against the slate sky, my sailboat still bobbing in the chalky green sea. I go over and around North Head and catch my first full-on glimpse of Auckland as the sun sets. Devonport is filled with Victorian homes, a long tree-lined promenade for me to walk as I pass shops. Like in the movies, the ferry arrives just as I arrive. It's a short ride across Shoal Bay to the twinkling lights of New Zealand's largest city, the sky tower reaching to a peach sky turning lapis. On the ride, I think about what Lydie showed me this morning in Stillwater. She has a tattoo on her finger of the infinity symbol with a circle in the center. It represents the decisions that keep coming back time and again, no matter if the circumstances change. Unless we change, we continue to travel the same figure eight track over and over. But when we come into our own, we are the circle in the center able to stop traveling that well-grooved path and become grounded and whole. I have the crazy idea I can walk tonight all the way to Susie's house, the daughter of my mother-in-law's neighbor who married a Kiwi. But I go about a kilometer before I call her to come and pick me up and bring me to her warm home. Susie promises me a few zero days, Auckland exploration, and a Kiwi-style... Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I want to thank Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the PRAG podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky should be in your hands. And Belega, the best blister resist, non slouching, foot massaging socks for any trail. And also thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the PRAG wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll ask you to write a review at Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find me, and I know you want me to be found. The music you're listening to is me playing my flute from so many years ago. 
You can find a link to the music, show notes, and more about my hikes all over the world. Also, all of the other episodes of The P-Rag. They're at my website, thepirag.com. Next week, we're going to take just a little pause for a hike that I'm taking right now in the United States on a remote island in Lake Superior, Isle Royale. Until then, my friends, happy trails. Thank you.